You are listening to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. To learn more about CRCC, including worship times, visit us at crcconline.com. With that being said, today let me kind of define the expectations, and I need you to be praying for me today. Uh, I really feel uh, extremely, extremely excited about today's message And at the same time, a little bit leery because I want you to be praying specifically as you're taking some notes that I will will stay on task. Because if I'm not careful, I could very easily slide out of pastor role and get into personal opinion. And so I want you to know that some of the things I'm going to say, we're going to stick on God's word. And I'm going to try to be careful not to to slide over. And so if in the middle of this message you start to, to hear me go some way and all of a sudden I just stop. It's because literally my prayer this week has been stay on task, Mickey, stay on task. Because people don't care about your opinion, but what they do care about is God's word. And so I need you to mentally get in that. Because today I want to share with you two words that I think most of us do not understand and one biblical principle that will unleash the power of prayer in your life. Are you with me? I want to share with you two words, two simple words that are straight out of God's word that I think most of us misunderstand. In fact, I'll go ahead and kind of give you a little bit of a, of a preface here or, or some sort of a concept. I think when I share those two words for you, immediately you will believe that the purpose of that was the concept of, of humanizing Christ. You've had people that have told you when I share these two words, oh, I know what that was. That was to show that God was human, to show that Jesus was human. And I don't think there's anything further from the truth. And so I'm going to get to those two words in a minute. And then I also want to give you a biblical principle at the end that I, that I guarantee you. If you are one of those people that say, I don't feel like God listens to my prayer. I don't feel like God sometimes, like, I feel like it, it gets as far as the roof. Anybody lived that before? Like, like, evidently, my house has the most amazing roof because my prayers get to the roof and it can't get any further. Like, not only does it bro- block the rain from coming in, But unfortunately, I feel like it it blocks my prayers from going out. I want to give you one biblical principle that I think that most of us do not understand that I would tell you is the most significant key to seeing the power of God be unleashed in your life and to watch your prayer life go places, to be honest with you, that you didn't know you had the ability to go to. Well, the two words, and they're not going to be on the screen yet, but the two words I want to share with you, and then after I share these words, I'm going to kind of take you on a journey. You're going to have to bear with me. There's a lot today, so I'm going to try to summarize it to give you a backdrop. But the two words are probably the most quoted two words in God's Scripture. Because when you say, hey, I need you to memorize a Scripture, I need you to memorize some of God's words, you're like, hey, you know, I've got it. John chapter 11, verse 35, I can memorize that Scripture. Why? Because it's two simple words. Jesus wept. I think it's probably the most looked over scripture that we don't understand what was really going on. And like I said earlier, I think for most people, we think it's something that, that is in God's word, the inerrant word of God. And it's just to let us know that Jesus was human. Like, oh, okay, well, you know, let's just know he's got a human side. It's kind of like we're humanizing Jesus. I don't, I don't think that's it. And today, if you'll bear with me, I want to try to show you through God's Word what I really think was going on and the challenge that it puts in our lives is something that maybe we need to do. In order to get to that, 
I need to back up. I need to back up, and, and I'm not asking you to turn there, but I need to back up to the beginning of the chapter, and I need to try to summarize so that you'll know everything that's going on so that we can get to that one scripture that's verse 35. So can I kind of set the stage? This is in the Gospel of John, and what is going on is Jesus has already entered this, this, this amazing ministry, and because of the things that are going on in his life, there's now a group of people in the Jerusalem area, in Judea, that are after him called the Jews. And so he has fleed from that area and has went to other areas. And so that's what Jesus did. And all of a sudden, he, he enters on the scene, and he's doing some different concepts at the beginning of chapter 11. And all of a sudden, something takes place that kind of changes everything. He's sitting there, and it, and it says in the beginning of chapter 11 that now one of the, the, or one of the people that he loved, Lazarus, has fallen sick. And he has a relationship with Lazarus and these two sisters of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, Yes, that's the same Mary and Martha that Mary came and anointed his head with oil and, and wiped her, her hair on his feet. Hey, this is the same sisters that end up having this kind of a debate about, why am I doing all the work? Jesus, please tell her to come help me. And Jesus looks at the sister and says, oh, but she is enjoying the things that matter because she's sitting. There's a relationship. In fact, if you do a little bit of a study, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, it's their house that Jesus a lot of time is going to in this city called Bethany that was right outside of Jerusalem. It was like his, it was the bed and breakfast before bed and breakfasts existed, okay? This is Jesus' little go-to place to chill. Well, because of this relationship, Lazarus falls sick, so Mary and Martha, the sister, sends word to Jesus. It says, the one that you love is ill. And I want to just read for you, it's not going to be on the screen, but I want to read for you his response in verse 4. Jesus heard it and he said, The illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. It is extremely important as we have the backdrop before we get to these two words that you understand exactly what Jesus already knows. He just stated that this illness will not lead to death, but this illness was there because of a glorifying of God that was going to take place. Are you with me so far? So after this, because he loves them so much, if you were to read verse 5 and continue to reading, it says he loves them so much that he stays two more days. I want you to think about that. Right now, if I told you, Pause. Guys, I apologize. Somebody just told me in my ear that your mother, your father, somebody you love has just had a heart attack. Would you stay in this service? If one of the people you love just had a major illness, would you be sitting here? Would you say, man, I, I love them so much, I'm going to chill for two more days. You would immediately what? Take off towards them. Me and my wife had the opportunity to one time be on a trip. We weren't too far into that trip down at the beach that we got a call that my father-in-law had had a stroke. We could not let the sun go down before we had rearranged and we were in the process of getting there. 
So I want that just to sink in. Most people's response, when somebody that you love is ill, even though he knows it's not going to lead to death, because of your love for them, you would immediately start the process of what? Getting to them. And then he's explaining it to the disciples. And listen to just a little bit more of the backdrop. Verse 11, he says this. After saying these things, and he was talking about the light, and, and there's 12 hours of a day, and that you can go in other times to go there, because I, I do need to let you know this. He's wanting to go back to Judea, and his disciples are going, whoa, dude, what are you talking about? Do you not realize that those Jews were just now trying to find you to stone you? Now, you're going to go back into that? And he's like, dude, we, there's plenty of time to travel. We're going to get there. But he stays two days, and listen to what he says to the disciples. Again, their scripture is going to be on the screen in a minute. This is just a backdrop. After saying these things, he says to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, will he recover? Now Jesus had spoken about his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, if you have a paper copy of God's word, underline the word, told them plainly. Listen to what he says. Lazarus has died. What was verse 4? This illness will not result in death. What does he tell the disciples? Lazarus has died. Confusing? How can an illness result in death, but yet it's not going to die? Hang with me as we keep reading. Lazarus has died. Now listen, these huge words. And for your sake, and for your sake, he's talking to the disciples, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. See, what's going on in the backdrop is something so amazing, to be honest with you, I don't have enough time in today to cover this whole story. But there's a major concept that's going on where Jesus is trying to let them understand that there are times in your life that the things that are taking place in your life are not just about you. There are times that things are taking place and what they look like they are and the reality of what they're going to be are not even the same thing. There are times in your life that some things look like death, negative, this isn't going to work out, and Christ is in the process saying, no, 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 actually, I'm glad these things are happening because it's going to move you on a journey towards belief. See, here, here's one of the things I wrote down. Are you ready? I want you to listen to these words. I want you to ponder this. I want you to think about this for a minute. Are you ready? People don't care what you say, but what you do can lead to many different things. People don't care what you say, but what you do is a gateway to many different things. Now, again, this is one of those areas I told you i got to stay on task 
But that's one of the things I get so tickled about with social media. I try to be so careful because I don't want to sound like a, a boomer up here, like, well, the end of the world's coming, it's that darn social media. And that's not what I'm saying. But I, I am so intrigued at how much people think other people care about what they think. Is there anybody that takes about three social media posts and you go, boop, mute? Of course, now they've got this new concept that you can actually unfollow somebody on social media, but that person doesn't know you unfollowed them. Because you know, social media etiquette, the last thing the pastor wants to do is for you to get some notification and you go check Facebook and go, what? The pastor's not my friend. Because then you would know that you're one of the people I'm talking about. So I just unfollow you. See, you don't know. Now you say, Mickey, are you talking about somebody here? I'm actually not talking about anybody here. But there are some people out there that I'm going, my goodness. I got to hit unfollow because I got to stop the noise. Like there are some people... And the only way I can think of it is they're so arrogant that they actually believe people care about what they say. I mean, think about it. Let that, can you let that sink in for a minute? Like there are some people that have put themselves in their own mind that people actually care about what they say. I'm here to get you to think about, I don't think they care about what you say. But I think they're consumed about what you do. I think that's what's, what's being set up here. I think they were trying to figure out what is Jesus meaning. And it's going to lead to a concept that's going to be very, very powerful. Because I think people are less consumed about what you are saying and they're more consumed by what you are doing. It's the old thing that we heard ever since we were in kindergarten, right? Actions speak louder than... But yet we will blow up people with words and not worry about our actions. Like if it's so true that you already know the answer... Why do we live the opposite? I think that's one of the things that is a little bit intriguing about social media because it gives everybody a platform. But on the other side of the screen, boy, we can, we can say anything, can't we? We can post anything because we think that our words are powerful. Like, we are so amazing. Like, people need to hear my thoughts. And what have I said? Maturity. Maturity is getting to a point in your life where you understand you don't have to say everything that's in your head. Because the reality is, it's going to hurt some of your feelings, including the pastor. Most people don't care anyway. They don't want to know everything that's in your head. They want to see everything that's in your life. Because your actions are going to speak louder than your words. So let's continue the story. Just the backdrop. After this, he, he summons and he starts heading that way. And, and when I believe, and, and let me make sure, it's, it's verse 17. 
And when he's headed that way, and he finds out they've been there for four days, and Mary and Martha are being consoled because of their brother, and when Martha hears that he's coming, she runs out to meet him. And they have this conversation. Again, this is just backdrop. And then we pick up the story that I want to focus on. It's actually in verse 31. You're going to see these scriptures on the scene. Now that you've got a little bit of the backdrop that's going on, the Jews are trying to find Jesus to stone him. Mary and Martha are wanting him to come in because they know who he is and thinking that if he will come in, then Lazarus surely wouldn't die. Unfortunately, he has already died and has been in the tomb for four days. He's coming back because he is working something bigger because he's saying, you know what, I'm glad I wasn't there so that these people may believe. And now there's this encounter where Martha's had this conversation with Jesus. Martha's run back and in secret told Mary that Jesus is outside of the city. And this is where we pick up the story in verse 31. Are you ready? When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. I need you to understand that always, always in Christianity and religion, and I use the word religion in quotation marks, there's always been a concept of consoling people when they are grieving or in time of need. Despite what was going on, even the Jews who were missing who the Messiah was, was in the process of meeting the needs of people. They were over at Mary and Martha's house. They were consoling her. They were trying to help her. They were trying to help them go through it. Side rabbit trail super quick. One of the issues in the 2020 church is we have stopped consoling people and we've started commanding people. Mickey, uh, I've hit this time in my life and I really don't know what to do. Well, do you trust God? Because if you trust God, you're going to get through this. You need to pray. You need to seek his face. You need to get in his word. He's going to help you through this. Is there anything untrue about that? No. But maybe, just maybe, what people need sometimes is not the answer. They just need somebody to cry with them. Maybe, just maybe, people need somebody that's going to sit down in their living room and say, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Now, do I trust God? Yes. Do I think his ways are higher than our ways? Yes. But, man, I am so sorry. I hate that this is happening. I don't understand it. But I see you, and I just want you to know I'm sorry. One of the phrases I've used for a majority of my life in ministry kind of sums this up. I believe God calls us that when we have our people crying, we should taste salt. Like sometimes we, we, just, we just need to taste the salt. We need to not be so quick to give the answer, and sometimes we just need to say, you know, it's going to be a salty day. The answer's coming, but maybe we just taste a little bit of salt first. 
That's one of the reasons why some people are getting deceived into different concepts of their life, into different things that are out there in our world, and different things that you are seeing in the news. They're getting deceived because these people are identifying with their pain, and because they identify with their pain, they immediately identify them as the truth. Did you hear what I just said? Our human nature is if somebody identifies with our pain, then we assume that what they're saying is the truth because there's a connection there. These Jews were consoling her and identifying with her pain. Praise the Lord, Mary and Martha understood what the truth was. These same Jews that are consoling her are also the same Jews that are trying to track down Jesus and stone him. There's a lot more I could say about that, but your prayers are working and I'm going to shut my mouth. Identification with people's pain does not mean that those people know what the truth is. God's word is the truth. God's love is the truth. Can I put this the simplest way possible? What would it look like if today's church loved people so well that other people's love was identified for what it truly was? Self-gratifying and selfish. So this is going on, and in verse 32, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. True statement. True statement. Remember when Jesus stayed for two days, and he said, he's not going to die? He said, but I'm glad that I was not there, because I was not there, now you're going to believe? True statement. If Jesus would have been there, he wouldn't have died. But she wasn't leveraging that as an indictment to Jesus and on Jesus. She was saying that based on the fact of knowing who he was and the power of who he was. Listen to how he responds. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. If you have a paper copy, underline these words. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then, Jesus wept. See, this wasn't Jesus weeping because he'd lost a friend. Like, Jesus knew this wasn't going to end in death. Like, everybody tries to explain, well, well, why was Jesus crying? Well, he was crying because he was fixing to have to bring Lazarus back from heaven. Where's that at? He wasn't crying because, oh, I'm so sorry, Lazarus, I got to bring you. That's not in here. Well, he was crying so that people would know he's human. He's fixing to raise the man from the dead. Listen to the whole story. You may tell you why he was crying. 
because he's identifying with their pain. He got emotionally moved in his spirit and greatly troubled because the ones that he loved, even the ones that wanted to persecute him, were hurting. See, in today's church, we confuse two words. Empathy and apathy. We think they're the same thing. And they're nowhere close. Apathy is not caring. Empathy, I wrote down the definition. Can I read it to you? Empathy says this. Are you ready? Empathy, the ability to understand and share the feelings of others. See, Jesus was trying to let them understand. I love you. And when you cry, even though I'm the God of the world, I'm the God and man, man, it gets salty. I believe even now, this wasn't a crying out of, out of like depression or sorrow. This was a crying because he saw people that were hurting and he was empathizing with them. He was understanding where they were coming from. He was greatly moved in his spirit. But listen to what this does. When we identify with people's pain, remember when I said People don't care what you say, but boy, they're really concerned with what you do. These Jews that were trying to persecute him, listen to what their response was. Are you ready? This is when it gets great. Following Jesus wept, verse 36. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. If you want people to know that you love them, you don't tell them. You show them. Our world is full of people that want to say with their mouth they love a person or a person group or a people group. But you can say all you want to that you love something, someone, or some people group. But I will tell you, I'm not listening to what you're saying what I am is watching what you're doing, and by what you do, it will show me if you love them. If you are leveraging your love for them so that you can get something you want, that's not love, that's manipulation. If you are leveraging your love for them to get something that you want, that is not love, that is manipulation. And again, I need to move on. See, in our world, we have two major issues. I've used this quote before because Rick Warren puts it so good. Will you put that quote up for me, please? Let me read this. Listen, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. 
You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. Just leave that up for a little while, please. I want you to think about that. See, in our world, we think that we can't stand on God's Word and tell people the truth because to love them means you have to accept everything that they believe. Because to disagree with somebody, well, that means you don't love or care for them. And that's, as this says, is nonsense. Listen to this last sentence. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. See, to have empathy on people, Jesus didn't stop standing up for what he believed. You know what he started doing? Demonstrating how he loved them. You say, Mickey, what does that look like in 2020? You already know I need to stay on task. I am so sick. I'm nauseated when people tell me that because I stand on God's word about certain concepts and certain lifestyles that I'm a bigot or that I'm hateful or that I don't know Jesus or I'm not loving. Listen, my faith and conviction does not make me love people less. It makes me that despite what they choose to ignore in God's word, it makes me love them more because I hurt for them. I had somebody ask me recently, Mickey, do you believe a certain blank? And you can fill in the blank. There's a lot of them. Do you think a certain blank would keep somebody from going to heaven and they'll go to hell? A certain lifestyle, a certain conviction, a certain concept. Can I make something very, very clear today? Can I let you have a little bit of freedom? Can I let you in the pastor's head? There's not a certain lifestyle. There's not a certain conviction that keeps people from heaven and sends them to hell. Scripture's very clear that without Jesus Christ, the wages of sin is death. And if you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then you go to hell. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you go to heaven. That is the only separation. See, people are asking the wrong questions. And they say, well, but what about this? Well, Scripture also tells me, how do you know if somebody has a relationship with Jesus? And it says, you will know them by their fruits. So I'm not saying that this sort of lifestyle sends you to hell. What I'm telling you is God's Word says that if you are demonstrating these fruits, then that's a red flag because you may not have a relationship with Jesus. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, the result is you go to hell. It's not the lifestyle that sends you to hell. It's the lack of a relationship with Jesus. Whether that be homosexual sin, heterosexual sin, continual lifestyle of sin. Like I get so tickled at all the things that people try to act like we're trying to, nobody's limited. Listen to me. we got to stick in God's Word and let people understand what the truth is. But here's the point of today's message. i got a little bit more, so you got to hang with me. Notice that Jesus' empathy and caring 
was not linked to his ability of knowing what was going to happen. I mean, have you thought about that yet? Jesus knows he's not going to be dead to the point of death, even though he's dead. Jesus knows he's fixing to live. But he didn't let knowing the end and the outcome deter him from identifying and sympathizing. One of the issues in the 2020 church is because we know how this ends, we think that gives us the right to not care. Can I say that again? We think because we know how this ends, that gives us a right not to care. Jesus says, "Mm mm-mm, not even close. Because you know how it ends, it means you should care more. Because when they're hurting, and they're in pain, and they're struggling, you should realize that that's as good as it's ever going to be for them if they don't have a relationship with Jesus. In their worst moment is their best moment in eternity. And that should break your heart. So you say, well, what do you do? Well, I'm going to summarize the rest of this because of time. They actually challenge him with the question, could not he have opened the eyes of the blind man, also have kept this man from dying? They're kind of like, what? What's going on? They listen to what, listen to what he does. I mean, so good. Starting in verse 38. He was deeply moved again. He goes to the tomb, he tells them to take away the stone, and he's going to call out to Lazarus. But listen to these words. I want you to listen to verse 41. This is the key. Verses 41 and 42 is this biblical principle that will unlock your prayer life. Listen to these words. Make sure you don't miss it. Are you ready? So, in verse 41, so they took away the stone And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, I want you to listen to these words very carefully. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Notice his conviction. He he totally believes. I knew that you always hear me. If you have a paper copy, underline the next word. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. See, Jesus is tapping into a totally different realm. Raising Lazarus from the dead had nothing to do with Lazarus. It had nothing to do with Mary. It had nothing to do with Martha. Because they already believed. They knew. Both of them said, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. But his prayer life, he said, Lord, I know you have the ability to do this. But I am doing this not that I will get the credit. Not because I want people to think I have some ability. I am doing this so that they will know the truth and know and believe that it is you who have sent me. Catch this principle. When you move in your prayer life from praying to get the credit to praying to give him the credit, woo, you better be ready. All of a sudden, people that have massive heart attacks live. All of a sudden, kids that fall off stools and are deaf hear. All of a sudden, people that you don't understand what's going on, and God starts moving in Knoxville and sends them to Duke. 
All of a sudden, Facebook pages that you're following, and it looks like there's zero hope, and all of a sudden they start coming forward. The key is, is when you move yourself out of the way and you stop praying from the petitioning because you want people to know, hey, man, I, I really got this great prayer life, man. You need to see what I'm doing. You need to come to me. And you start moving into, it's not nothing about me. It's everything about you and for your glory so people will understand who you are. God says, I like that. That's my will. I want people to know about me. Yes, buddy, I'll do it. But most of us are too selfish. We pray out of something that we want. Lord, I want a little bit more time with this person. Lord, I'm not ready for this person to go. Lord, I don't know how to handle this. Lord, I don't know how things are going to be different. Lord, I don't know how to, how to how to change my life. Lord, I don't, like, it's me, me. And God's up there, and literally all he wants is saying, listen, if you will approach me with the fact that you want this in your life so that I can be glorified, everything changes. I know some of you in this room that I love you, but the reason why you haven't seen the major change in some of your family members is because you're praying for them all based on something that you want, not based on what God wants. I just don't want my boy. I don't want my girl. I don't want my grandma. I don't want them to go to hell. Rather than God, I want you to do something miraculous in their life, not because of anything that I want, but because I want your story to go forward. And I want you to be glorified. So he gives you the answer in the end of the story. When he had said these things, he cried out a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, listen to these words, unbind him and let him go. You may tell you what your prayer life does. You may tell you what a relationship with Jesus does. It brings people from captive to free. It brings them from slavery to letting them go. If you were to keep reading this story, you would see that it is this actual one event that started with Jesus weeping. That it says all the Jews that were there started believing, but some went back. And they're telling this Jewish council that had this guy named Caiaphas. And they're telling them of what took place. And they immediately say, we have to do something about this. Because if this gets out, surely everybody would believe. And the Romans would come back and take not only us, but our land. Do you know that, that Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead was what ushered in what would end up being the cross and his own death and him raising from the dead. But you know what the catalyst of it was? The catalyst of the whole story is when the Jews, for the first time, identified with Jesus and realized he didn't have a personal agenda. He just was in love with people. See, I don't pe think people really care what you say. 
But I think what you do has a way of bringing about life-changing freedom. If you were encouraged by today's podcast and would like to experience other talks, visit us at crcconline.com.